Uh, before I, I begin, I do want to make a, a personal note. This is our, of course, third Mass uh, this weekend here at Holy Family. And at each one, I've been so blessed to see people from my home parish. Uh, what had happened is, and this is going to become more common, uh, they, they could not get a priest for their Sunday Mass. So a bunch of them decided uh, to come here. And so I saw Shorty's back there somewhere. There he is. He's hard to miss. He's 6'6". Six, six. Uh, but I saw just a bunch of people from my home parish of Mount Zion, and I'm so glad uh, I get to pray with you guys uh, again. And I couldn't help but think, uh, when we were growing up, uh, well, getting older, there wasn't a lot of growing up going on. Um, we had a priest who, I, I've told you this before, this is not an exaggeration, preached 35 to 45 minutes every Sunday. And that was awful. Yeah. Uh, I, I would pray, Lord, please kill me. Um, anything. But the worst part wasn't the 45 minutes. Uh, it was the point where there would be, he would kind of, he's wrapping up, right? 20 minutes and he's almost done. And then he would say, quote, and they can all say it with me, with that introduction in mind. And you're like, oh, Jesus, no. Uh, and it's so hard seeing all of you guys to not like pause right at the end of this and say, and with that introduction in mind, uh, and see if there's a revolt. Uh, has nothing at all to do with the homily. Um, I had a homily uh, that I started working on. My usual pattern is after my last mass on Sunday, I go home and I read the next week's Sunday readings. And then Monday, try to take like an hour and research and think and pray. And then just through the week, put it together. And my goal is always Friday, the homily's done. And poor Saturday people, they're my guinea pigs. Uh, but all this to say, as you can imagine, um, after the shooting at MSU, I was really stuck as to what to do. I worked with the East Lansing police for seven years, and the texts from them started coming right away. Um, and a couple called me and asked me, you know, we're in a group, will you pray with me? Will you pray with us before we go uh, in? And whenever there's an unspeakable thing in our culture, I never know whether to preach it or not because preaching out of emotion tends to be a bad idea unless that emotion is love. Huh? You've been angry preached at. I'm sure I've slid into it. But this is one where when we look at our second reading in our gospel, it's, it's irresistible. Yeah, in our second reading. Paul is writing, so anyway, my excuse for what might not be a good homily is it all changed. Uh, and I, Paul is writing people that he has spent 12 chapters chewing out, right? He's writing to a community of Christians that got everything right but sexual morality, right? Uh, and that was the hill they were going to die on. Yeah, that whatever's going on with this Jesus thing, we can do it when we want when it comes to that, right? Thank God we're not like that anymore. <laughs> Good to know it's not a new problem, isn't it? I mean, it's like, okay, Christians stunk at this from day one. 
And Paul has just been chewing them out. I mean, read it. If the bishop wrote me a letter like that, I'd be like, I'm going Methodist or something. I mean, this is, he's just chewing on them. And then he gets to why he's so upset with them for all of their sexual immorality. And it's, I see how you love. You don't have to be like this. You don't have to be animalistic. Maybe I should put it this way, and that's where we get to today's second reading. Don't you know you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know your body is sacred? Don't you know how valuable you are? You do not exist as a means for someone else's pleasure. You do not exist to seek pleasure by using someone else. You deserve to be treated as sacred because you are sacred. I love that about Paul. Man, he can pull the pin and throw the grenade. But every time it does, he does, it's because he's so in love. He's so in love. He's in love with Jesus and he's in love with you and me. Because you're, if you're in love with one, but not the other, it's not love. It's something weak. We look at our gospel and we see Jesus saying, remember last week? I pray you remember last week. Where he said, it's not enough to say don't murder. Please don't murder. You need to have all the violence in your heart healed. And today, he, he continues it, right? You, and, and people have done this, right? When we're talking, it, and uh, particularly, ironically enough, when I was at MSU, well, doesn't the Bible say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth? It, yes, it does. But like everything else, it turns out there's a context, right? I could tell you uh, Mark 5.11, right, which is a... The whole Bible verses, and on the hill, a big bunch of pigs were eating, right? Which, it's not an inspiring passage, granted. But it's just as valuable as grabbing, the Bible says an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Look at the context. What is, Mo, what is Moses saying on behalf of God? He's changing the system. See, the system was, if you take my eye, this, you can look this up. I kill you, and that's legal. Moses is trying to limit vengeance, not encourage it. He's not saying an eye for an eye to take it up a notch. He's saying, easy, the punishment needs to fit the crime. But we use it as a means to advocate violence, state-sanctioned violence, the worst kind, I think. We have forgotten how valuable we are. We've let culture lie to us and say we're all about our sexuality. That's what they've let us do. And we're so willing to pay any price. Marriages? Yeah, throw them out if we need to. Life? Throw it out. We have forgotten the value of other people and of ourselves. We've forgotten that we've been appraised. That Jesus said, what are you worth? What will I trade just for you? Um, my very being. 
You're worth my blood and all my breath. That's your value. That's who you are. When God looks at you, St. John Paul II said this, he doesn't look at us and primarily see our sin. He looks at us and is captivated. He's in love. And we forget that. And we treat ourselves as means of production. And we treat others as means of gratification. And we start that early. So I don't have a grand unified theory for the why. Everyone does. And it'll surprise you how many people see evil like this and say, well, that happened because of something I've always believed. Yeah? Every horror is our excuse to justify what we already believe. That shows you how messed up we are. This shows you how deep it's gone. We're more in love with our answers than with the truth. Because at core, there is a truth behind all of the evil we encounter. And it's the devil. It is evil. And we won't talk about it because it's a little embarrassing. In the same way that God looks at you and sees what he is so desperately in love with, any evil being that looks at you finds you repulsive. No better than the bug you squash when you see it in your bedroom. There is no deals to be made with evil that don't end with your death unless you let Jesus come to your rescue. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what did he say? What's the thing he said we should pray all the time? Deliver us from evil. If God said we should pray constantly for deliverance than evil, then we should pretty much assume that's the best thing we can do. Evil is real and it personally hates you. Our dignity is the best thing about us and it's the first thing he wants us to throw away. We treat the vulnerable and the poor as disposable, all in pursuit of what we want. We treat each other like tools or means of gratification or even as ways to affirm what we believe already. Oh, a bunch of people died? Well, here's why my politics and my thinking is better. I don't know, yours might be. But I know that's not what that's supposed to be. That's not supposed to be our response. Our first response, Jesus protect us from evil. Particularly the evil I want to justify. So much so that I get to the point where like Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for your persecutors. So that you can be children of your heavenly father. If you love those who love you, what recompense is there in that? Even tax collectors do this. And if you are good to your brothers only, what's unusual about that? Pagans do the same. So this is our call to do three things. One, pray for protection against evil. And pray it a lot. I can tell you just by mass attendance around the country where we pray the Our Father every mass, less people are praying that prayer. 
you and I are going to pray it every day. And we're going to make that commitment that whether we're praying the Our Father or another one, Heavenly Father, protect us from evil. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to call on the Holy Spirit to help us do something divine. We're going to love our enemies. We're going to pray for them. We're going to ask God to heal their hearts and help us to be willing to do this if that's what it takes. The third thing <clears throat> that I'll invite us to do, we pray for protection against evil, we pray for our enemies, and third is we become obsessive about the fact that every human you meet is a child of God filled with light and dignity. The breath of God is in their veins. Humans don't exist for our sake. We exist for theirs. So this is our challenge. It's to recognize that we fight this front on the, we fight this battle on the only front we have control over, the one right in our hearts. We will allow no evil in there. We will allow no thought or action that reduces a human to a means. We will full court press in our lives, praying for protection against evil, praying for, to, uh, praying for the grace to pray for and love our enemies, and third, to be defined by the truth that every human we meet as a temple of the living God. Amen? Amen. Okay.